Well, we've been going through 1 Corinthians, and today we have reached the love chapter. We have reached the love chapter. There's really maybe a few different ways we could kind of go at the love chapter. Um, One of these ways could be my favorite way, right, which is there's this big theological debate in one of the verses, a few of the verses in the love chapter, and we could talk about that for quite a bit. Another way we could look at it is we could kind of do it a very sentimental sort of way where we kind of say, you know, let's talk about love, and that would be like the most least like me, right? You know, I'm not really a super sentimental type person. And the final way is we could talk about it a little bit more maybe in the context, and it's really probably more like a scolding, you know? I mean, the people of Corinth are really getting a scolding in some ways, and 1 Corinthians 13 actually is kind of a continuation of that scolding. So um, if we could go to verse 1 here. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And you can see this sort of dichotomy, this debate between, should we read it more like this? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, Am I a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? You know, let's all get married, right? I mean, there's kind of that soft way. Or there's kind of this more rough way you could look at it. Listen, you guys care about tongues. You care about angels. You're caring about these other gifts. You're more emphasizing those. And you are failing to remember that love is more important, right? You can see how you could look at it in this more kind of scolding sort of way. It goes on to verse 2 and it says... And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. I think he's making his point clear here. He, we had talked about in chapter 4 these other things that they were fighting over, that they were debating over, and he is saying what you're really missing here as you kind of worry about these other things is the importance of love. And he says in verse 4, he starts out talking about what love is. And he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love it's not arrogant. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll think, we're, so I'm going to do a really loving thing for a person. You know? Maybe we'll, we'll do somebody a favor, we'll do something nice for them, and it's very loving, and it, it was very appreciated by them, and it was really wonderful, and we do, we do this loving thing. But then this kind of happens. I'm not sure I'm getting quite enough credit for how awesome I was here, you know? Did people, I mean, that was pretty, I mean, I... Spent a decent amount of time on that, and not just anybody could do that. And uh, I'm not sure everyone quite realizes how much time and just quite how awesome I was uh, when I did that. And so, you know, if, if you're like me, I think I'm being subtle. I'm probably not being subtle, you know. I, I, I think I'm being all crafty, right? Like, yeah, you know, I was, I was, yeah, I was a lot of work. Ooh, yeah, yeah, really had to, really had to work hard on that one. You know, try to be try to be subtle. You know, yeah. Oh, I spent about four hours on that. Yeah, you know. And geez, I had to look this up. And look, I know how to use Google. Isn't that fantastic? And look at that. I, I yeah. You know, not bad, huh? Not bad. 
And so sometimes when we think of love and we think of what we want to do, sometimes we kind of poison our love because we suddenly are able to turn our, even our loving acts towards others about who? About us. We, we will even do a loving act. Sometimes we, we kind of poison it. Or rude, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. You know, sometimes being irritable, it's like a weapon. It's like a weapon. You're like, you know, I could be nice, but I bet if I just kind of act like it's a rough day, things aren't going that well, the back hurts or whatever ailment you want to whine about, you know, my boss or whatever. You know, if I just act a little bit upset and I just act a little bit, things aren't going my way, I bet, I bet I can get someone to do something that I want. I bet I can get them to do what I want. Because then if they do what I want, then maybe I'll decide to be a little bit less irritable. And all this happy. I'm happy I got what I want. They're happy that I... I'm not being a jerk anymore and being irritable and all is well in the world. I'm not sure there is a gift of irritability in which you have a skill to get your way. I think this is what we are not supposed to be doing. It says love does not insist on its own way. You know, I, Tyler's here. It's a perfect day for him to be here. You know, there's multiple ways to play basketball. And there's my way, and there's the wrong way, right? <laughs> and uh, of course, that's not true, but there's many, many different ways to skin a cat. And of course, when, when you're in the heat of a game, it's all fun, right? You know, I remember one time, Tyler and I, I can't remember. I, I, I remember I was wrong, but I can't remember what we were arguing about anymore. And, uh, and I, you know, he, he and I are kind of yelling at each other, right? Like, oh, why are you doing this? I don't know, whatever, right? And... In the heat of the game, it's a little bit hard to think about how you shouldn't be wanting your own way. But so often, when we go to have a conversation with our spouse, someone important, we have this really big goal. How am I going to get out of this with a win? How is this going to turn out so I win, that I get what I want? We might be really nice. We may not say, one mean thing in that whole deal, and that's part of our skills, right? We, we may be able to do it really craftily, but our goal is to have our own way. We don't even always have to be yelling at each other to try to get our own way. It is not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, I read, have you guys heard about the happiness index? I bet you some of you haven't. It's very interesting. So countries, when they're trying to evaluate whether they're doing a very good job, kind of the standard thing they've always determined is what's our GDP? If our GDP is going up, meaning we have more money, then we're having success, right? How do you evaluate yourself as a country, as a government, as a GDP? You know, and I'm sure they had some other ways, but that was like a big way. And then some country, it's like a small African country, I think, said, you know, we should try to figure out another way. 
to try to determine our success. They were never going to win the GDP race. Right? They were way behind, and there was not a lot of hope to catch up. So I said, is that really our goal, or should we try to be, make our people happy? And I'm not sure happiness should be the ultimate goal either, but that was the ultimate goal of, of this particular country. And so every year, it kind of started catching on. More countries are interested in it. They actually do like a survey of every country and which countries are the happiest. There's always these certain countries that are always the happiest, like Norway, Sweden, Denmark. They always rank in the top on the happiness index. And there's a lot of debate. No one really knows why, why they're the happiest. It depends on your views on different things. But one thing that they do that's really interesting that might be making them more happy. There was a woman who was from, I think it was Denmark. It might have been Norway. I forget. She was, she was one from those countries. And she was in New York City for some reason. And it was time to give her child a nap. And they found out over there that if you let your kids sleep outside, they often sleep much better. Something about the fresh air or whatever. So she took her kid, put him outside, had him take their nap. Now, in these countries that are always high on the happiness index, one thing that they always rate really high on is they're very trusting. They, they really trust other people. And so they do this kind of thing normally. It's like normal. You, you put your kid outside to take a nap. Guess what happened to her in New York State? She got arrested for child neglect. I'm going to ask you which one you'd be which situation you think you'd be happier. Say you took your car to a mechanic, and he ripped you off 10% every single time, but you never knew. But you never knew. As far as you knew, everything was going great. Or a situation which you go to a mechanic, and he's fair every single time, but you are constantly checking. You are making sure, you're Googling every repair he makes. While it's in the shop, you're stressed about it. You go recheck his work because you're worried he might be ripping you off. Which state do you think you're going to be happier in? I think I'd rather just pay 10% more and not worry about it. But I think we all have seen the relationship between two people where the one is so worried that the spouse will cheat on them, it does not matter if that spouse ever cheats on them or not. They can ruin their own life, stress themselves to high heaven, being scared of it. Now, I'm not suggesting we want to go too far this way. There's wisdom. We don't want to just be total doofuses and get ripped off every second of the way. But there does seem to be this thing here. It believes all things. They, trust. they tend to look and see the best in people and trust. Because if you go and you think everything in the world really negatively, you're going to be sad and you're not that fun to be around, right? You're not going to be that fun to be around. You know, we need you as wisdom. This is not carte blanche, but it's something to think about that this idea of trusting might help ourselves be a little bit more loving. It's like when you're the as a waiter, and it's like sometimes people would just endlessly question you, and you'd be like, man, I'm not trying to rip you off. You know, I'm sorry. I'm just the waiter here, you know, and it's just like you're not really that fun to wait on. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, 
it will pass away. And now we get a little bit into the theological debate. This is the debate, okay? So these things will cease. Prophecies, tongues, knowledge, it will pass away. So the question is, that everyone debates about, is when will it pass away? Okay, when will it pass away? So a cessationist says it will pass away when the canon of Scripture is finished. Someone who believes in the spiritual gifts of these particular ones are going on today say usually something like the second coming. All right? So when will it pass away? We do get some clue here in these next few verses, but you'll find out that the reason we all argue about it is because it's not incredibly clear. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So what is the perfect that comes? Is it the Bible? Is it Jesus? This is the debate. Okay? Is it the Bible or is it Jesus? That is the debate. So if you would like to know what a cessationist believes, that if they know what they're supposed to believe, I believe they would take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and take you these verses right here and say, those things have passed because the scripture have come. If you're wondering where I am on it, I'm probably thinking it's pretty hard to argue that the perfect coming is the scripture. I think that is probably Jesus. The only way I could see that being scripture is... Uh, you know, it talks about uh, seeing in the mirror dimly and soon we'll see face to face. And so maybe, maybe that's a connection to it and it's referring to Scripture and so this partial and dimly and so maybe it's Scripture. But I think that's awful hard. It's another part of Scripture and kind of comparing those two I think is a little rough. And if I were to not have some sort of real cessationist bias, I think I would say if I read that and didn't know what was passing away, I think I would almost surely think that was the second coming of Christ coming back. I think that is the view I would take. You're welcome. I could have made that way longer. So I, I think I did that in three minutes. I'm like patting myself on the back for that one, all right? We're going on to verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Bethany's still waiting for me to do that, by the way. For now we see in a mirror dimly... But then face to face, and we and the scripture sometimes called a mirror. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Once again, I think this is talking about after the second coming, where we, we, we now know in part, and someday we will know fully. It's like we're almost like we're children now, and like then we'll be adults. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. You know, telling someone how to love, it can be really difficult. I probably told you guys this before. I know we've talked about it in the Wednesday night men's group. You know, as a preacher, when you get to the end, you say something like, now do these specific things. You need to do this, this, and this. Or do you leave it more general? And let the people apply it to their own life. And it's a time like this where I think the guys arguing that you keep it more general have a really good point. 
because I think we have a great and loving church, and I have no idea what it might be in your life and your home in which you need to show more love. I'm not there every day. I'm not in your house. I don't hear those family talks. But I'm guessing in each of our lives somewhere, we can say, boy, I could use a little more love in my life. I could show a little more love. And as we get ready to close in prayer and sing a final song, I'd like you to think about that. I, don't, I, I, would ne- I, could, I could list a hundred things and never hit the thing for you. The Holy Spirit's laying something on your heart. I just pray that today you would say, no, this is the thing. This is something in my life which I need to share, show more love. Let's pray. Bill, we just thank you so much for this morning. We just thank you so much for all you've done for us. Lord, I pray that we would look at ourselves, we would look at our lives, we'd say, Lord, where am I not being loving? Or where am I, maybe I'm making the love about myself. Lord, it's a constant struggle to become selfless. Less of us and more of you. And I just pray you'd be with us in that and guide us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.